Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and how a sword makes everyone look cooler. Tonight on Episode 9, we've got the first episode of a three-part series covering the Future Trunks saga in Dragon Ball Super. This saga covers a whole pile of episodes, and so tonight we'll be covering Episodes 47 through 56. So, let's get this thing started. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi! And if you haven't listened to any of our previous episodes, then you should probably do that, as this is a continuation of our Dragon Ball Super Series discussion. So, unless there's anything you'd like to say, Todd, why don't we get this thing started? Let's do it. Do you want to roll us in with episode 47? Absolutely. Episode 47 is SOS from the Future, A Black New Enemy Appears. And this thing, uh, it gets us into the action pretty quick. Uh, the episode begins with some shots of a city in complete ruin with blackened skies. Uh, Future Trunks is shown running for his life, fleeing from key blasts from some shadowy figure. I really like this opening imagery, and I'm already hooked into the episode. Absolutely. This is one of the most interesting starts to an arc that I think we've had in Super so far. I mean, we're, we already know who Trunks is. We're invested in Trunks. We don't know who he's fighting, but we do get to see kind of this ruined city. I mean, this looks worse than what we saw with Trunks against the androids in terms of like the landscape and everything. And we're also wondering who is strong enough in this future timeline to challenge Trunks at this point, too, right? Yeah, Trunks is, I mean, he's already proven himself to be a very capable fighter, and he's more or less the strongest fighter in his timeline. And so for him to be forced back, you, you know that there's no one else who can really step up to the plate and things are bad. Absolutely. So we kind of follow Trunks as he makes his way to his mother Balma's laboratory. And they're talking a little bit about the time machine. And Balma here is has been cultivating what I've dubbed time juice. Or, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that summarizes it. Yeah, I don't know what else to call it. Uh, but it's basically the the fuel for the time machine, and she has one doses worth of it. So yeah, this is going to be a one way trip if if the time machine is to be used again. And they make it clear that it was very difficult for them to come across this. It took an entire year's work just to get one trip's worth of of time juice. Time juice, that's right. And Bulma does make it a point to tell Trunks that there is a way to get back because he's he says there's only one dose. Like, what what am I going to do? How am I going to get back to actually help our our world? Uh, but Bulma says there is a way. She just doesn't explain it because they get cut off by this seemingly this shadowy figure that's been chasing Trunks down. And he kind of breaks in and attacks Bulma. Yeah, they're both completely caught off guard, and things happen really quick. At the last moment, Bulma forces this this container of time juice into Trunks' arm before she's pulled away from him. And we see her kind of being held hostage by the shadowy figure before things just explode and everything just gets out of hand very quickly. Absolutely. Now, one thing that I wanted to note here is that I wasn't sure how to feel about the emotional response from Trunks in terms of, I mean, we see Balma get killed. She gets murdered by the shadowy figure. And I know things are happening at kind of a quick pace, but I would have liked to have seen a little bit more from Trunks in this moment because his, his mother died and that's somebody he, he 
we've seen he cares for very much. Well, Trox doesn't have a lot of people to care about at this point, and seeing probably the person he would care about most, I would say, just being torn away from him. I do agree with you. There should have been, I don't know, that, that flicker of rage or something like that, because, yeah, watching your mother get killed before your eyes, I feel like would be something that would send anyone over the deep end. And bear in mind, this is Trunks's timeline where Dragon Balls don't exist. If that person dies, they're gone. Right, yeah. And I think... For both Dayton and I, that's one of the reasons why we like Trunks's storyline is because there are some repercussions without the Dragon Balls being provided as a reset button here. So Yeah, there's no takesies backsies. If if someone goes down, that's the last you're gonna see of them. And this will be the last time Trunks gets to see his mother in his in his timeline. And that's I think there should be a lot of emotional weight tied to that that we didn't quite see. Yeah, we got a little bit there. Uh, we do, after that, get Trunks escaping with the time juice, and it cuts over to our past timeline, or our timeline that we're familiar with, with all of our Z fighters. Uh, and it's, I, I didn't take a lot of notes about this part because it's mostly uh, fluff, I think, where they're doing some farming and whatnot. Yeah, there was a little bit of a throwback to that's how Goku and Krillin were trained by Master Roshi way back when they were wee little lads. And so there's a bunch of lettuce that needs to be picked and he calls Pickle all over and it, it turns into a competition for a little bit. Right. Yeah. I mean, those those are good Dragon Ball elements, but it's it's not the meat and potatoes here. No. Right? And I, I also laugh because in the middle of all the farming uh Goku overhears that Vegeta has been training with Whis over on Beerus's planet and immediately decides that he also needs to be training. And in the middle of this uh, lettuce picking competition, just instant transmissions right out of there. <laughs> we all know where Goku's priorities lie and it's training. <laughs> Absolutely. And he instant transmissions over to King Kai's place in hopes of getting some of that sweet, sweet Kai training. And uh, King Kai... I guess to put it mildly, is not exactly happy to see Goku on his planet. Considering the last time he was there, he pretty much all but destroyed it. Absolutely. We got a good shot of all the Kamehameha ditches that were left across King Kai's planet. And I think that more or less wraps up that sequence, which kind of takes us back to back to the future. And we get to see Trunks running his way to... Uh, this kind of place of refuge with a character that we are all familiar with at this point, we get to see Mai in the future from the Pilaf gang. And these two are, are on friendly terms it, here. We do get a little bit more of uh, trunks opening up about what happened to Balma, which is good. We get him crying and kind of showing a little bit of uh, a little bit of feeling surrounding that event. And I, I suppose with Trunks, he's already lost so much and he's probably used to having to fight through the despair of losing somebody close. And it's at this moment when he opens up to Mai about what had happened to Balma, you see him kind of tear up and start showing a level of emotional response, which I thought was important. It's not the... I mean, we're used to seeing people like Goku and Vegeta when even threatening to hurt their friends will send them into a rage. Trunks is... I suppose he's had a different experience. He's been fighting for survival for so many years of his life, whether it was under the the rule of the androids who he wasn't strong enough to fight against and had to survive, and now it's under the rule of uh, Goku 
well, eh, I guess I was going to spoil a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> under the, we'll the reign of the shadowy figure that's been plaguing the planet for, I think, years at this point. Yes, absolutely. And so that and that's those are good points uh, that Trunks Trunks almost has to bottle up some of that emotion. He almost has to deal with what is right in front of him and figure out the best way to move forward, the best way that is going to help his world, help the people who have survived in his world. And that's kind of the the burden that's been laid upon his shoulders in his timeline, which is it's a lot, man. That's a lot to deal with. And just to just to really show how bad things are, and I actually really like this. Uh, Mai pulls out a celebratory container of it's just a can labeled meat, and she mentions how it's not even dog food, and she's been saving it for kind of a moment like this. It just it really reinforces the fact that things are really bad right now. Yes. So I'm glad you brought that up because that's a great moment of show instead of tell where it's it's really showing us how bad things are in this in Trunks's future that they they probably don't have meat. They might barely have food. They're resorting to eating dog food at this point. Uh, And so it really gives us a a peek into the gravitas of the situation that they're in with this shadowy figure and the destruction that he's wrought onto his world. And it, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's been just years of humanity being wiped out. Cities are in ruin. There's almost nothing left. There's hardly any people left at this point. Right. And I guess when you contrast to what you think about when you think of eating in the Z fighters, there's always just a buffet of meats and all kinds of extravagant things. And there's, you know, bowls of rice that are the size of a swimming pool. <laughs> I mean, I think anyone who's, you know, ever worked out at all understands how hard it is just to eat enough to stay in shape. Imagine if dog food is your primary source of, uh, I guess, protein. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I can understand why maybe Trunks would struggle to, to, I guess, get strong enough to fight somebody when he can barely feed himself. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's a that's another good point is that uh I mean Trunks is almost certainly emotionally worn down, physically worn down, not getting the, you know, just the food, the energy, the fuel that he needs to really fight back against this shadowy figure. But that does lead us to the next scene where Trunks and Mai are taking the time juice and they're trying to make their way to the time machine so that they can make it back to our past timeline to get help from our Z fighters, Goku, Vegeta, and whomever else. And in doing so, that's when they are attacked again by this shadowy figure. And initially, Trunks is going to more or less try and buy time and possibly sacrifice himself to get his, at this point, dearest and one of his only friends left, Mai, out of there. And after a brief exchange with the shadowy figure, Trunks is immediately beaten back. And that's when Mai steps forward and says, no, you're the only hope for this timeline. You have to go forward. And that's where Mai gives him uh, the fuel and goes to step forward to try and buy time and fight this figure for as long as she can. Which is absolutely, I mean, I'm so torn on this because... It's nuts. Mai has no powers. She's taking a shotgun out to fight this guy who is stronger than Trunks. It's crazy, but 
you know, what what courage on her part, man. What a fucking badass to go out there with a shotgun to fight this guy. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no other way to describe this figure as something that's that's inhuman as far as power goes. The amount of destruction that's been wreaked on the planet, millions killed, if not billions, and you're going to take a shotgun? I think... Uh, it takes some some real courage to try and step forward and do something like that. And I think that that was a moment that was supposed to speak and tell a lot about Mai's character. Right. And this is another moment of, you know, show, don't tell. Like, you don't need to tell me Mai's brave. Mai's going to show you. Mai's going to stand in front of the fire and, and or in front of the firing line and not blink. Absolutely. I, I do want to just draw a quick parallel to the very first episode of Dragon Ball Z, where we get the farmer with shotgun against Raditz, with Raditz being immensely weaker than, you know, Trunks at this point, and obviously than the shadowy figure. And uh, my in the situation is our farmer with shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I respect it. Uh, The difference, though, is that the farmer didn't know what he was up against. Right. My knew exactly what she was signing up for, and she signed up anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Again, like you said, it's it's showing us a lot about who she is as a person in this moment, which is great. And with all that said, though, Mai gets blasted by this shadowy figure. She gets knocked out or, as far as we know, possibly killed by a key blast from this figure. And Trunks has, in the same day, within hours, seen, as far as he knows, seen his mother die and seen this woman that he very much cares for uh, possibly die in front of his face as well. Uh, But it does, I think, give him the opportunity to get out of there. Um, Well, I don't think we get to see that just yet, but what we end on here. Yeah. The episode ends with a unconscious dead or dying. My kind of being held in trunks arms as the dark figure looks down on him menacingly. And they paint a very grim and dark picture for, I guess, everything, including our, our main heroes here. And that's where the episode more or less kind of draws its curtains. And we're, we're kind of left on a cliffhanger. We are. One little detail I wanted to bring up there is that the, the reveal that we get at the very tail end of the episode mm-hmm. is they show us the face of this shadowy figure. And it looks like Goku. It looks like... I mean, he's not wearing what we're familiar with Goku in his orange gi. Uh, He's wearing dark clothes and he has an earring on one ear, one of the Patara earrings on an ear. And so we're left wondering, who is this person? Why is he attacking Trunks? Why does it look like Goku? Is it Goku? Like, there's so many questions at the end of this episode. Yeah, and... Unfortunately, we're not going to get any answers at the end of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great cliffhanger. It's it's an excellent. So, I mean, d- let's just talk about that episode as a whole. I love this episode. It's a fantastic setup for the next story arc. It really draws us in, makes the audience ask a bunch of questions, and it it just makes you curious. You want to see the next episode and figure out what's going on. Yeah, you're I was immediately hooked in the first time I had seen this episode and I couldn't wait for the next episode to come out. And I 
I mean, we know what, I guess, the the main heroes are going to be. We know where it takes place. We know the drama. We want to see how things unfold. There's It gives you every reason to keep watching. And on top of that, I think we get just a great background and setting for all this stuff to take place in. So I'm very happy with, I think, pretty much everything in this episode. There was no filler, no content I can criticize. It got straight to the point, and it leads you down the road that you want to go down. So I just, 10 out of 10, love this episode. Yes, I agree. It was fantastic. And I think that's going to move us on to the next episode, Dayton. Which is episode 48, Hope Again, Trunks Wakes Up in the Present. And that kind of tells us where things are going to go, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, like we've talked about, sometimes the episode titles are a little bit spoilery. But I think we kind of, the audience here kind of assumes that Trunks is going to get back. Otherwise, we're not going to have much of a story. So, (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I mean, all right, I'm not going to speculate. Yeah, 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 yeah. No no one wants to see (laughs) Trunks die. All right, so the episode begins with Trunk facing off against uh, this shadowy Goku figure. And uh, I think he refers to him as Black, right? Like, this is where we actually get the first reference to the name of this character, the shadowy villain. Right, I think that is correct. And we, we basically get to see him kind of standing off against this Black character, uh, there, there is a brief fight or a brief exchange between them, and I think it, it it kind of culminates in Trunks using his sword and the Masenko to more or less screen his exit. He, we get the impression that Trunks is weaker than this black character, and we get the impression that Trunks doesn't want to fight him heads on head on. He needs to get back to the past so that he can get help to fight this character. Yeah. And Trunks had powered up to, was it super Saiyan two in the scene that he powers up to? Cause sometimes I have trouble telling. <laughs> it is a little hard to tell actually. And, uh, I don't think it even gives us a good indication. It looks a little bit more like just regular super Saiyan. Cause we don't get the lightning and everything out of it. Okay. So Trunks, he powers up to super Saiyan and after a brief exchange is beaten badly. So Super Saiyan's not anywhere near the level of this black character. And after losing the exchange, Trunks, like you said, uses the Masinko to more or less create a, a smoke screen or a distraction for him to kind of slip away. And that's where he makes his way over to the time machine. Right. And at that point, he gets in the time machine. The time machine flies up into the sky. Black goes to blast the time machine, and it disappears just in the nick of time. And at that point, it kind of cuts over to Trunks in our regular timeline. And uh, we get to see... Basically, the time machine appears before Kid Trunks, as well as the, the Pilaf gang, and they're kind of like, what is this? What's going on? Kid Trunks dis- sees the Capsule Core logo on the uh, time machine and says, okay, I'm going to go get my mom because she should know what this is. Yeah, and Bulma does immediately recognize it and starts, I guess, getting to work. She asks if, you know, there's a, a man inside the machine, and of course there is, and she starts, I guess, more or less calling the troops and getting things ready because she knows that something bad's probably happened. She knows that this is future Trunks and she starts working on getting 
him out of the time machine and getting a hold of uh, Vegeta and trying to rally the troops because she knows that she's going to need some help with whatever's happening here. Right. I mean, it's uh, it's not like Future Trunks is just visiting the past, you know, just saying hi and coming in for dinner every now and then. He's, <laughs> you know, this is the only the... I guess at this point, the third time that he's jumped into the past and uh, obviously something's wrong. Like they, they find him really beat up in the time machine. He's unconscious and kid trunks. It has an interesting point of view here because he sees this adult looking character who looks very much like him and he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't understand what's happening, why it's happening and eventually, Balma, when she goes to contact Vegeta, she says Trunks is here from, and she says that he's uh, he's hurt. And so, again, Kid Trunks is even more confused at this point. Yeah, he's uh kind of, I guess, losing it a little bit, like slowly, kind of panicking, and I think. That makes sense. He has every reason to start freaking out over this person who looks like him, who has the same name as him, who just showed up out of nowhere, that everyone seems to know except him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, as we all know, having watched Dragon Ball Z, we know that uh, Kid Trunks was just a an infant when Future Trunks came uh, to the past in the Cell Saga, so... He has no memory of any of those events at this point. He's just kind of along for the ride, trying to figure out what's going on. And... Yeah, and I once Bulma manages to contact Vegeta, uh, Vegeta, Goku, Beerus, and Whis decide to tag along too. All instant transmission back over to where all the characters are now gathering around a unconscious Trunks. And Goku goes over to... Uh, fetch some sensu beans because that's always the solution to everything is just pop a bean. All right. And we get a scene with uh, Limbo with Corrin and uh, Yajirobe. It's, <laughs> it's important that I bring that up. Limbo! <laughs> <laughs> I did laugh, though, because Goku, right before he leaves, he's, he asks, is that game any fun? And they both go, no. He goes, no. Ah, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, Nice little levity in this very serious situation, which is, you know, <laughs> Dragon Ball's pretty good at doing that. Uh, it was it was a nice little one offer. I I laughed at it. Absolutely, I did. I did enjoy our little our brief little time with our Bean Daddy. Yeah. So Goku collects Sensu beans. Uh, instant transmissions back over to the unconscious Trunks. Feeds him the beam, and Trunks starts waking up, kind of getting his grips. And as he opens his eyes, he sees Goku standing before him. And this triggers some memories inside Trunks. And he immediately jumps out of his bed and starts taking a swing at Goku with all of his might. And Goku catches the punch. And there's kind of this tense, I guess, situation in the air where everyone's kind of looking to see what's going to happen. And that's more or less where the episode ends. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually like the little bits of animation here and the directing, too, because you can see they show a close up of Trunks's face and his eyes and you can see the fear in his eyes and the fear turns to anger as he's recognizing Goku's face, which he believes to be Black's face. And 
that's kind of the the cliffhanger that they end on is Goku catching Trunks's punch. And I, and I do like it because Trunks has been just, I guess, running in terror and just being just brutally terrorized by this black figure for years at this point. And so there would be, for I guess lack of a better word, some PTSD revolving around this character and just coming back to, especially since the last thing he remembers was barely fleeing from black and possibly losing Mai before his eyes and losing his mother not long before that. And so just for him, it was, you know, he was fighting Goku black. He barely gets into the time machine, goes unconscious, gets out of the time machine. And the first face he sees is what he thinks is black's face again. I thought it was really well put together. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think Trunks, well, in the next episode, we'll kind of get to that, but uh, he could believe that, you know, that the time machine didn't work, that, you know, Black blasted him out of it or something. And so, honestly, especially with everything that's happened to him within the past 24 hours, I'd be shocked if he weren't uh, traumatized or had some sort of PTSD. Honestly, I, I almost feel like he should even be more traumatized than he is but uh but they they've done a good job of piecing that all together and kind of delivering that to the audience yeah i felt i felt i guess very good about the reaction of most of the characters i guess revolving around everything that's happened because there's this is a very complex situation with trunks uh i guess little trunks meeting future trunks uh future right. trunks meeting the face of the main villain of his his timeline there's a lot going on here, and even though there's n there's not a ton that happens in this episode, I thought it was delivered well. I agree. I, honestly, this episode's great. I we kind of skimmed over some of the Pilaf gang shenanigans. Uh, that was probably the my least favorite part of the episode. But everything that has to do with Trunks and his timeline, fantastic. Yeah, it's. It, unfortunately, I have to recognize that the peel-off stuff exists, so it goes from a great <laughs> to a good episode for me, but yeah. all the stuff that's not peel-off I thought was fantastic. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I think that pretty much takes us over to the next episode. Which is episode 49, A Message from the Future, Goku Black Invades. And just that title gets me excited. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. We know we know some shit's going to go down, which is great. <laughs> oh yeah. So the the episode starts off with uh Bulma literally slapping some sense into Trunks and kind of waking him up from his I guess enraged state that he was in upon seeing Goku's face. And at this point, Trunks begins to kind of settle down and people can start talking about stuff again. Right. And I mean, Trunks is, he's upset. They actually show he's, he's almost in tears at some point, but he's, he's also elated that he was able to make it to the past because now <laughs> appropriate for Trunks, there's hope. Yeah. And one, one little thing they brought up and I was really happy they did just to reinforce the idea as to why Trunks went after Goku is the last memory Trunks has of Goku is him dying to sell. Oh yeah, you're right. That's that's a good point. So he would kind of be under the assumption that Goku was dead still in this timeline. Yeah, so he would have no reason to think that Goku would be standing right in front of him. And we're I'm going to bring this up again. In Trunks's timeline, Dragon Balls don't exist, so that's not something he would readily think about. 
Yeah. And I mean, even at the end of the Cell Saga, Goku chose to stay dead anyway. So uh, he he wasn't he, he wouldn't have been available to help Trunks, which is interesting because, you know, at that point. Trunks was probably going back to get Vegeta's help in particular. Uh, I mean, maybe Gohan, Vegeta and Gohan, which uh, feels appropriate for him. So, Well, yeah, I mean, the, the last memory Trunks probably has of Gohan is him beating Cell. And I guess if I'm Trunks, I would figure Gohan's only gotten so much stronger since then. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially with Trunks's memories of Gohan from his timeline as his mentor, and so we're we're kind of diving into the the thoughts and the psyche of Trunks here, which this arc is great for. They they do a lot with Trunks's character, and I know and, you just kind of mentioned this, but I do think that this was a great spot for things to kind of slow down, and we get Trunks kind of seeing Bulma's face and kind of breaking down a little bit and just all the emotion that you know he's been kind of holding back and gritting his teeth through, he finally can, he has a moment where he can stop and let it out. And I do like that he actually kind of falls to his knees and almost cries just seeing Balma again. Yeah, that was a really great moment. And if you guys can't tell, both Dayton and I are really excited to be doing this arc and covering this because Future Trunks' story is really good. They do a lot of really good stuff with him in this arc, so... I mean, it's it's one of the few characters in in Dragon Ball in general that gets really emotional highs and lows. And there's there's a lot of, I guess, lasting effects and baggage that he'll carry through his life. And he just I don't know. It's there's something about a character who doesn't have the 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 luxury of Dragon Balls to be able to fall back and wish your friends back and make things better. Every loss he's ever, I guess, had to endure he's had to live with and there's so much weight to that absolutely and he he almost certainly in many ways blames himself because he's one of the few people in his world or in his timeline who can really stand up to the threats that uh that show up on the earth or you know even the universal threats he's uh he's kind of the last line of defense and he really hasn't had too many mentors in his life either he's had to figure most of this stuff out on his own yeah yeah i mean he had gohan for a short period of time and then he worked with vegeta in the hyperbolic time chamber for a year outside of that it's been all him so yeah he he does mention in this episode though that he did have to deal with majin buu and he did deal with majin buu on his own but he did mention that he got a little bit of help from supreme kai in dealing with majin buu and actually the way he dealt with buu was making sure that buu never hatched yeah surprise right if you don't <laughs> let the uh bad guy power up and get to full power uh, they're a lot easier to deal with <laughs> that's the uh the the vegeta running through his blood where vegeta will usually just kill a guy before a guy can you know, mess things up too badly. And I kind of like that, uh, that practical attitude more often than not. Yeah. Sometimes that's Vegeta's route. Although in the cell saga, yeah, (laughs) that's a good point in the cell saga though. Trunks and Vegeta were at odds in that scenario where Vegeta (laughs) was literally kicking Trunks's ass so that cell could get powered. up. Yeah. All right. Maybe there's some caveats to that, but most of the time Vegeta's fairly level-headed. He is more so than more so than Goku. And uh, I mean, we, we see that against, we've seen that in our show against golden Frieza where Vegeta just 
goes max power and starts beating the snot out of Frieza. He, he doesn't mess around like Goku does. And he's he's Vegeta's changed a lot over time. He's grown as a character. He really has, but I, he's still Vegeta at heart, though. Just looking at his interaction with Captain Ginyu, going back to the Golden Frieza saga, where he just, <laughs> you're gone, bye, I'm not wasting my time on you. Yeah, absolutely. And we're we're getting a, a little bit off topic of the episode. But there's, <laughs> yeah, we are. There's a lot to talk about here. There's a lot going on with all the characters. Uh, but basically what ends up happening is that Trunks tells the rest of the Z fighters what's going on in his timeline. He uh, expresses that uh, the reason he attacked Goku was because of this character, Black, who looks just like Goku and has been attacking him for, you know, possibly years at this point. And uh, that's when we kind of get the dilemma of the fact that Trunks has no way to get back to his timeline at this point. Yeah, and when they start talking about these timelines, that's when Whis and Beerus sort of put together that uh, these mortals have been messing with time travel, and Whis makes a mention that that's something that's very taboo. And it's kind of left there, which is something they dive into a little bit later. But without... Uh, a functional time machine, the current big thing they need to solve is how do we get back to Trunks' timeline? Because they only had enough time juice to get here. And that's where Bulma more or less steps forward and starts offering ways to figure it out. There's There's got to be a way for Bulma to solve this. Right. And I mean, that makes sense, right? Bulma was the one in the future who created this time machine. So we kind of get the impression that she could probably reverse engineer it. But uh, she, I think, reveals that she had tried. Well, I think that comes up a little bit later. But uh, eventually what ends up happening is that instead of just her trying to do that from scratch with the time machine, she finds a book, a notebook that was written by her future self that has all the notes and all the theories about time travel and about this time machine. And so with that, she concludes that she should be able to just read through those notes and figure out how to get the the time machine back up and running. And the problem with the time machine is solved, but then we kind of cut away from there and we get Goku Black in Trunks' timeline standing in the area where Trunks had more or less time traveled through. And he notices that his time ring is kind of reacting to this location, that something weird is going on here. And this is kind of the, the first hint that the Goku Black might be uh, under something here. Right. And Goku Black was surprised when Trunks disappeared. He felt like there was something off about it. Uh, and so... That basically, well, I, I think we'll get to see kind of the ramifications of that here soon. But before that, we get into a little bit of a sparring match between Goku and Trunks just to kind of measure each other up, see where they're at. And so that Goku and Vegeta can kind of get an idea as to how strong this black character is as well. Yeah, so with the sparring match, Goku should be able to figure out whether or not Trunks is stronger than him or not. And I guess with Trunks' description of how strong Black is, he should be able to get a rough estimate as to what they're kind of up against. And so they 
decide to do a sparring match right next to the city on Capsule Corp ground, <laughs> uh, where, you know, I guess the, the fallout from it would be just hugely collateral. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so Trunks, I think, immediately kicks it up to Super Saiyan 2, right? Like, that's what it more or less wants us to think. Right. We do visually get confirmation this time with Trunks turning Super Saiyan, and then we get the the lightning around his body that is kind of indicative of that Super Saiyan 2 form. And so we get Goku also jumping up to Super Saiyan 2, and a sparring match between the two begins. And just as a heads up, this is not one of the more creative or interesting fights to watch. It is just a some punches being thrown back and forth and it's it's a sparring match yeah i have a few minor complaints about this here myself i mean it it shows goku transform into super saiyan but it shows the super saiyan 2 aura with the lightning however his hair is still in his super saiyan 1 hair style which is kind of an oversight by the animators there i think uh they trade some punches and eventually Goku transforms into Super Saiyan 3, which is a surprise to Trunks. And there's a little bit of a, I'd say, kind of a throwback to when Trunks and Goku first met, where Trunks swings a powerful sword strike at Goku and Goku catches it with his fingers, which is a nice little nod to their first meeting. Uh, and then Goku just pummels him into the ground. <laughs> See, okay, so what did you think about that, I guess, that last punch that Goku threw where he just, I guess, annihilates Trunks into the ground, just full force, just lets him have it, because that felt, I don't, ugh, I don't usually see Goku doing that to his friends. Usually he's got a lot more control than that. Yeah, it was interesting, and I mean, you can tell, I think maybe the important part there is that Trunks gets up out of the little crater just fine, like... Clearly, Goku wasn't aiming to hurt him. He wasn't aiming to maim him. He wasn't aiming to kill him, obviously. Uh, <laughs> so even though he did pummel Trunks, uh, Trunks, uh, Goku controlled himself well enough to not hurt Trunks. Okay, that makes sense. It's just... Uh, I feel so bad for Trunks with the, the couple of sparring matches with his <laughs> close friends that he has through the story arc. Yeah, I can't really argue with you there. And I, I agree, it feels a little bit weird from Goku... But I, since Trunks wasn't hurt, I wasn't uh, overly thrown off by it. Okay, I just I just had a good laugh about that. I was like, oh man, Goku's really giving it to him. Yeah, right. After everything Trunks has been through, like, oh, let's now physically get your butt kicked by your friends. <laughs> well, I think not long after this, the uh, things change for the worse when the sky starts getting dark and we see uh, a big black and purple rift start opening up in the sky. And lightning shooting everywhere, and from it, I think we see Goku Black kind of step into the scene, and yep. that's uh, I think that that's more or less the the cliffhanger that the episode stops on. Yeah, and that's these episodes. All of these episodes have great cliffhangers in such a way that it's satisfying. It makes the user or it makes the viewer want to see more. It makes us want that next episode, and we we're invested at this point. Like we want to know what's going to happen. This is a lot of fun. I like the way this arc has been 
kind of laid out for us. It's pacing, right? Like that's been yeah. so far one of my biggest issues with Dragon Ball Super up till this point has just been pacing, and this feels like it's it's off to the races. The pacing has been fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, what did you think about that episode as a whole, there, Dayton? Uh, I mean, as a whole, I think it's a I think it's a great episode. It's not it's not super exciting, but we get some meaningful character development with Trunks. Um, honestly, that's the majority of the episode is just kind of Trunks dealing with, uh, I guess, the backlash of finally making it to somewhere where he can let his guard down and kind of seeing the emotional trauma that he's been through on top of tying up weird loose ends with uh, like current Trunks dealing with future Trunks and uh I guess, I don't know, there's just a lot going on in this episode, and I, I like it. It's exciting. It's, well, it's not the most action-packed episode, but I think it's a very good, meaningful episode, so I'm happy with it. Yeah, I agree. I It's it's more exciting from the perspective of character development. Uh, it, it's, like you said, it's it's not action-packed. Um, it, and it, it feels like a little bit... I don't really want to say slower necessarily. It's it's just less action. Um, in terms of pacing, I think these first three episodes are are paced pretty well. We're we're moving the story along. Everything feels like it has a purpose outside of maybe the m- little moments that we get with the Pilaf gang. Uh, it, it's good. I'm I'm invested. I like it. Uh, I think for the most part that covers that episode though, and we can probably move on to the next one. Which is episode 50, Goku vs. Goku Black, The Path to the Sealed Future. Which, uh, I like it because it's already telling me that there's going to be a fight. <laughs> and that's what we're here for with Dragon Ball, is we want more fighting. And so, <laughs> it's kind of what it kicks us off with here, is we, we get Goku Black has gone through this time rift using his ring, his time ring, which we don't know a whole lot about yet. Um, we, Beerus and Whis are just kind of hanging out on the side. Goku dives right in to fight this character because, well, it's Goku and that's what he wants is more fighty fighty. Oh yeah. Um, He's, he's hungering for a fight and, uh, he flies up. He's getting ready to phase off against Goku Black. There is a moment where Beerus and Whis do point out the time ring on Black's finger. And so they're already starting to get a little... I guess curious as the as to the origins of this character because some things are not making sense to them, but that's a very brief moment because pretty immediately Goku gets hit by a key blast that knocks him all the way back to an area with no people. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, they are uh, fighting in a wasteland, as is <laughs> uh, typical for Dragon Ball. But uh, gotta protect the people, I suppose. So. Uh, I do like the convenient key blast back into the barrens where nobody could get her i kind of laughed a little bit at that hey man it's it's like a video game when you knock the character off the side of the screen to the next scene that's basically (laughs) what they did here (laughs) we're on the next stage now that's right (laughs) oh shoot that's funny we we pretty much get goku surprisingly i mean after the key blast he powers up pretty quickly here to super saiyan 2 so he's holding things back for sure but uh we get some decent action sequences here. Um, we get some pretty good exchanges in terms of choreography. I think Dayton, you and I talked about this a little bit before the podcast here, and you said that you liked this fight quite a bit, right? I did. I was a big fan of this fight, and it's not it's not because the animation quality on it is 
anything to write home about. It's the sequences that the fighters go through with each other. You actually see attacks being deflected. There's a point where Goku goes to throw a punch and you see an actual kind of martial arts technique where Black kind of pushes the hand to the side and grabs a hold of it and turns and does an overhand throw with Goku. I really like the way that the it wasn't just fists colliding in the air and meaningless, mindless punching. There was actually some thought as to what the characters were trying to do to each other, and I really appreciated that. Yeah, and I I had to rewatch this because Dayton pointed that out to me, and after watching it a second time through, he's Dayton was absolutely right that this actually has some solid fight choreography when especially when compared to some of the fights that we're going to see later in these episodes uh they're the character models are a little bit off in a few places but outside of that i like that it feels it feels like two martial artists going at it with one another which is which is good that's what i want to see in dragon ball yeah it just it felt like maybe the a team wasn't working on this but they there was a lot of thought put into the sequences that the characters were going through with each other and i i definitely wanted to take a moment to appreciate that i also want to appreciate that there are a couple scenes in this fight where they stop and they pan out and you get to see the environment that they're fighting in and it's this kind of rocky craggy barrens kind of area but they do so much detail in what should be a wasteland. And there are a couple scenes where it just looks fantastic. A couple still shots. Absolutely. And again, that was something that I also didn't notice when I was watching through it. And so I kind of went back to see what Dayton was talking about there. And he's absolutely right. Some of the background scenes are really well pieced together. And I kind of overlooked it at first. Uh, but it's, that's why it's nice doing this podcast is getting two sets of eyes on things where I might see something that Dayton doesn't and Dayton might see something that I don't. So it's nice oh, to get geez. those different perspectives. We forgot, uh, uh, something like that, that happened. I think last episode that, that I finally noticed that you brought up. Oh man. Just a quick side note <laughs> in that the copy Vegeta arc as much as neither one of us liked it. What I really loved is the English dub got Brian Drummond, the original voice actor for Vegeta in the Saiyan saga of the Oceanic dub, to voice our copy Vegeta. So we basically got this OG Vegeta voice versus Chris Savitt's, you know, super well-known Vegeta voice for the English dub. And we got them in the same scene together, which I absolutely loved. I honestly didn't know that. That is super fun. And I'm glad they took the time out of the day to actually try and hunt down, I guess, these two voice actors to put them next to each other because that's just, that's super fun. And I love yeah. it. Yeah. I thought that was a ton of fun too, but that's our brief little tangent back to our last episode. So if you guys haven't <laughs> listened to that yet, go ahead and do that. Uh, if if you haven't, you're listening to this in a weird sequence, but you know, yeah, you do yeah. you. To each their own. <laughs> That's right. But so, back to our episode yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, Go back, ahead. Back Dayton. to the fight. Um, <laughs> so we get some some sequences between Goku and Goku Black fighting, and uh, there's mention of uh. Was I think Trunks yells out, "You need to watch out for the time machine," and that's where Goku Black looks down in the middle of this fight, and he sees the device that Trunks used to kind of escape the timeline, and realizes that's how Trunks gets you know back and forth between here and there. And as Goku Black's looking at it, Goku lands a solid blow on Goku Black, and he's kind of knocked back. And this starts 
getting us to the end of this fight sequence where Goku Black is now being pulled back through the time tear. The ring is kind of dragging him back to his normal timeline. And there's a moment where right before Goku Black is brought through the time rift, he fires a key blast and actually destroys the time machine that Trunks had used to get to this timeline right before he sucked back through. Yeah, absolutely. Our uh, our villain here doing his due diligence to really screw over our hero, our f- future of time, or our hero of time here. Uh, and so no longer, well, our Z fighters no longer have our antagonist in the forefront with, uh, with Black back in his timeline. And so they're kind of left to deal with the aftermath of the time machine being destroyed. And there's one note that I made about this that I really, really liked was Trunks basically being just super distraught. And he's, I mean, he thinks he's stuck. He thinks that he can't go back to his time to help the people that he's been trying to help this entire time. And Vegeta just comes up to him and gives him just a just a brief line, something to the effect of don't give up. And this is just a very it's a very Vegeta way of showing that he cares. And I really love this. Yeah, there aren't a lot of scenes where Vegeta's, as I put, being a cool dad. But this was definitely one of them where you could tell that that Vegeta was trying to reach out and help Trunks, I guess, emotionally in a way that you don't really see Vegeta do very often. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Just the fact that Vegeta was aware enough to even do something in this moment for his son. I, I love it. I, that shows a lot of growth for Vegeta as a character. And And I believe after this, we get a scene of Bulma remembering something and tearing apart her lab. And she, eventually finds what she's looking for and out pops a old decrepit time machine with a hole blown through the top of it that we all have seen before we have yeah for all of our all of the dragon ball fans who have watched dragon ball z and the cell saga i think pretty much all of us will recognize this guy as the time machine that cell used to get to to go back into the past because the androids were destroyed in his timeline. And so, uh, I like this. It's a nice little throwback. I was, I was really happy to see it. Yeah, it was, it was a smart way to, I mean, destroying the time machine trunks used was a smart way to cause drama. And then using the time machine that cell had brought back with him. It's a great throwback. It's a great way. It's a great little plot twist uh, where honestly, I didn't, I didn't think of that initially when I watched this. It was not the first thing that crossed my mind. And then I was like, oh, yeah, duh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, it was definitely one of those ones that caught me off guard that I had to. Yeah, just like you, I had to remember it. Where the heck did this time machine come from? Oh, yeah, because it's such a small, like, like detail that Cell actually came here from another timeline. It's it's one of those things that you could very easily overlook. Uh, yeah, and there's definitely some uh, time travel shenanigans in Dragon Ball where you're like, oh, there's so many timelines that I don't quite understand, but I think we'll get to that here in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll I'll just wave my hand over this one. It's it's cool. Yep, Cell came here from a time machine. We're not diving into that. Yeah, exactly. And but, I think uh, the only thing we really have left in the episode is there's a scene of Mai lying on the ground, uh, looking all dead and stuff. 
And then after a moment, you see her hand kind of twitch. And that's more or less where the episode ends. Right. So, again, they're they're doing a great job of giving us just little pieces at the end of the episode that make us want to keep watching. So what did you think about that episode as a whole, Dayton? Um, overall, I thought it was a, a good episode. It's not it didn't have as much emotional, I guess, weight as previous episodes, but the fighting was OK. We do get some storyline progression. We actually get to see black in full form. So now we we know the villain a little bit better and we know kind of where he stands. And uh, we get that, I guess, throwback with Cell's time machine. It was a good episode overall. I don't have a lot to complain about. I thought there was a lot of good stuff. Is it a great episode? I don't think so, but it was definitely a fun watch. I liked it. Yeah, yeah, I I very much agree with that. It, it's solid. It has a good, good bit of drama, good plot twist in there. Uh, the action is not bad. Could have used some, some more time on the animation, I imagine. Um, but... Otherwise, it's moving things forward. One thing that I wanted to point out that I think we both kind of forgot is that while Black is fighting Goku, there's, well, I guess two things. Uh, Well, basically, Black is noticeably getting stronger as he's fighting Goku. And there's something going on there that I think we'll learn about a little bit in in some of the future episodes here coming up. Yeah. They do mention that as the fight's progressing, his power level is kind of spiking. Right. But I think for the most part, that's going to take us over to the next episode, which is episode 51 feelings that transcend time trunks and my, and this might be my least favorite episode in the series. Not going to lie. <laughs> I think there's a, we both, uh, there's a few weird things going on here. Uh, but the episode kind of starts with a flashback and I might've kind of jumped the shark here a little bit, uh, but it shows us the, the whole scenario with Balma, Trunks and Gohan finding cells time machine back in the cell saga. And uh, they, they pocket that and, you know, that's that's basically where that came from. Yeah, they give you for people who didn't recognize it. This was the uh, tell not show, I guess, part of the episode where now now we yeah. know exactly where the time machine came from, which is cool. I'm I don't mind that they explained it. Uh, it didn't really add anything. I guess Balma, there's probably a hundred different ways Balma could have gotten a hold of it. But Trunks more or less let Balma keep the time machine, which neat. That's cool. Uh, I, I don't really know. I guess. I'm trying to think of why Trunks thought he had priority over this time machine. That that's the one thing I'm upset about. It... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> uh, maybe he's trying to just not mess up more timelines by leaving time machines lying around. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was kind of funny that Bulma had asked permission to have a time machine that wasn't his, but eh, whatever. Right. Yeah. At the same time, he he did give it up pretty easily. But yeah, it's I don't know. It's a weird situation. It doesn't really belong to either of them, I guess. But Um, whatever. We get the explanation for the time machine. And then I think from there we get into Vegeta training in the gravity room. And uh, yeah, he's uh, training in the gravity room. Yeah, I think the important takeaway from this is that uh, I think somebody even mentions that Goku should train with Vegeta and Goku says, oh, no, he's in one of his moods. And we get the impression that 
something's rubbing Vegeta the wrong way, whether it be the fact that he didn't get to fight Goku Black, whether it's that Trunks, his son, is is in this crappy situation. He's, you know, he's had people killed. I mean, I guess, really, Vegeta might even be upset about the fact that his wife, his wife in the future, was murdered by this Goku Black character. Yeah, I do think he does express some rage over the fact that this Goku Black killed his whole family. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why he's pissed off. And it, it makes sense to me. No one harms people that Vegeta cares about. Nobody ever does that. I mean, and it, I think that is a way for them to kind of draw back to when Trunks was more or less killed during the Cell games and Vegeta kind of loses it. It's It's showing Vegeta caring about his family. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And uh, it's, I mean, that's, again, that's an important development for Vegeta. We all know that Vegeta is a very proud character. And so if anybody messes with his family, he's going to be upset about it. Yeah. And Goku doesn't want to train with Mad Vegeta. And Goku (laughs) attempts again to train on King Kai's planet. And he's told to uh, please leave. And so Goku is right now just kind of in this area where he wants to train, but doesn't have anywhere to train right now. Right. And then it we kind of cut over to Goku Black in the future timeline. And we see him just almost like practicing some moves and techniques, but he's expressing this idea that he is learning how to use his body and his power after fighting with Goku and fighting against Goku. Yeah, he he even kind of takes that that pain in his stomach from where Goku hit him and he almost I guess feels I would say a sense of elation from it. The the thrill of the fight is exciting him and he's looking forward to pushing himself to that next level. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of takes us back to Trunks in the past and they're kind of figuring out what to do with the time machine. Uh, Trunks sees uh, Kid Mai in the past, oh, I guess. Oh, God. I have been so fine glossing over all this stuff because it is <laughs> so weird. It, it is a little bit strange. However, I, I think it's important for Trunks and uh, Mai in the future here because this is where Trunks kind of expresses how he feels felt about Mai because at this point he believes her to be dead in his timeline Uh, and and we get a little flashback of more of Mai being a badass in his timeline where she's kind of the leader of the resistance against Black. Uh, She saved Trunks multiple times with like flashbangs and stuff like that and uh, (laughs) the other kind of weird but interesting note here is that Kid Trunks at this point gets jealous kid trunks has a thing for kid Mai, and uh Mai is kind of fawning over future trunks which is still trunks so there's, yeah there's weird when, stuff going on here. yeah yeah i hate it when my future self swoops in to try and steal my girl i know right like <laughs> me stop uh stop stealing my women <laughs> which <laughs> like, is what weird. a weird weird scenario just the everything about Mai just confuses me because I guess she's like nine years old or something like that right now, except she's actually like an adult in a child's body. 
and there's weird feelings between her and adult trunks and just uh, uh, i'm just gonna stay away from this because this is all complex and confusing and i don't like where any of it's going it's strange i mean yeah trunks is kid trunks is young kid my is young but doesn't have the mind of a young kid it it's weird it's it's a strange scenario (laughs) yeah it's very complicated i I, yep yep i'm done touching that yeah so we move on from that to our briefs family or dr briefs and balma begin repairing the time machine and uh from there we kind of get Let's see. I think it just moves from there to Weiss and uh, Beerus. And they're talking about how they felt. There's just a brief little scene where they're talking about they felt Black's energy before. And kind of the ending note for this episode is that they're going to investigate whatever that means. Did you have anything else about that, Dayton? Uh, not, not really. Like I said, this is not one of my favorite episodes. There's a lot of time spent with weird kid, my drama and Trunks kind of pouring his emotions out onto her over her future self. And it's very bizarre. And I, I just want to get over it. Yeah. I don't blame you there. I, I like, I like the flashbacks that we get of my, I like just seeing future my, be a badass, uh, but I agree with you that the the weird relationship triangle dynamic here with drunks, kid drunks, and my is just strange. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there was supposed to be some humor somewhere in there, but it it, it was lost on me. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, for the most part, I mean, it, it still moves the the story along a little bit. We start to get the uh, the time machine repaired. Um, but yeah, the the pacing of this episode is maybe one of the worst in this this chunk of episodes. Yeah, and fortunately, it's it's there's not a lot of episodes in this saga that I dislike, and so this is going to be one of the few ones. Like you can skim through this one. In my opinion, uh, there's not a lot of important relevant information in this episode. I don't think probably the most important is that. Beerus and Weiss have sensed this energy before and are going to investigate. That's probably the biggest takeaway in my eyes. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And on that note, I think we're going to move on to the next episode. Which is episode 52, Master and Pupil Reunion, Son Gohan and Future Trunks. And this is... It's it's kind of a character-building episode. It's not... It doesn't move the storyline very much, but it's... It's not a bad episode. It's more of a emotional relationship kind of oriented episode. And I, I don't mind it, but we'll, we'll dive into that here in a second because we begin with Bulma reconstructing or beginning reconstruction of the time machine and uh, a little bit more of the weird my and future trunk stuff, but uh, I'm going to gloss <laughs> over that. Yeah. We'll, we'll probably skip forward here just a little bit because it's, it spends a lot of time with Balma kind of fixing things and a little bit of a relationship between Mai and Trunks and stuff. Um, I think really, to me, the the meat and potatoes of this is Trunks wants to go see Gohan. Uh, there is a sequence that I wanted to talk about briefly where uh, the 
Trunks basically has a nightmare of Mai being killed by Black, and he eventually goes to talk to Krillin and Piccolo and tell them the story of Gohan as his master. And the reason I feel like this is worth talking about is because we actually get the sequence where uh, kind of a reanimated sequence from the TV special of uh, Future Trunks, where we get to see Future Gohan without one of his arms, and he turns Super Saiyan, knocks out Kid Trunks, and then it skips forward from Trunks's perspective, where the androids at this point have already murdered future Gohan, and we get to see the reanimated version of Trunks finding Gohan's body, and that's the trigger for him to go Super Saiyan here. Yeah, and that that movie is one of my favorite OG movies. It is a fantastic watch. Great pacing, great uh, characters and setup, and everything about that movie is fantastic. And the fact that they actually kind of reference that and bring it kind of in line with the current Dragon Ball story. I freaking loved it. Right. And that movie is also one of my absolute favorites or that TV special. It's, it's honestly only like an hour long and it's fantastic. Everything that they cram into that hour. Now, because I love that material so much, because I love that scene of Trunks going Super Saiyan in that original TV special so much, I this scene where they reanimated it bothers me just a little bit, if only because if they're going to reanimate that scene, I expect it to be as good as or better than the original scene, and this is not. It's worse than. Uh, it's it's unfortunately the animation is not as good the emotion is not felt there nearly as well and it doesn't give us that kind of like trunks walking in the rain really and him just crying as he sees gohan's body it it doesn't hit me as hard and it doesn't look as good and so i'm a little bit disappointed with this reanimated version of it i i can definitely see that i know i definitely viewed this scene through rose tinted glasses it, it more or less brought back that memory of when I first watched it rather than invoking, I guess, new emotion. So I definitely agree with you there. Yeah, and that's fair. And I, I, wa- I want to like this scene because I love the original scene. I was just a little bit disappointed with it. But outside of that, they kind of move on forward with Trunks going to visit Gohan. And uh, we get to see Gohan leaving one of his conferences and uh i mean this is like prime nerd gohan here with his sweater his glasses his tie like he's rocking the super nerd look right now oh yeah and so he's he's looking like a professor right now walking out of uh his his school and that's where trunks is leaning up against the wall looking all edgy and sexy and that's where (laughs) gohan notices him and there's a brief exchange between the two, and the the one big takeaway from this little exchange is that Trunks mentions how Gohan used to surge with power, and now when he looks at him, he senses nothing, just telling you how far Gohan has fallen since the uh, since his fight with Cell. Yeah, and I I made a note about that too because I thought that that was pretty pretty important, and I mean, again, getting kind of digging into Trunks's psyche. Trunks 
I mean, Trunks was a young kid. He was probably, I think, a preteen or something to that effect when he was mentored and taught how to fight by future Gohan. And so future Gohan, I mean, was probably the closest thing that Trunks had, not only to a father figure, but to somebody to look up to, somebody he viewed as just powerful, important, charismatic, like... Trunks probably has a very inflated view of Gohan as a person, to be honest. Yeah, and, you know, on top of having all those memories of Gohan from his timeline, his memories of Gohan from this timeline are Gohan being the the most powerful fighter that he's ever met. That's his last memory of Gohan. And so it's kind of a far cry of what he used to be when he looks at him now and sees this kind of bookworm, skinny, scrawny nerd who doesn't really seem to be showing any fighting power at all. Yeah, absolutely. And in this scene, Gohan and Trunks are just eating some ice cream. Like this is one of the things I love about this episode and these sequences is the fact that we're getting such a drastic contrast between the world that Trunks is in now in the past Versus the world that he just left where everything is dark and destroyed and everyone's dead or there's just very few people alive. And this is just showing like such a casual Gohan living his life in just a normal world where he can, you know, see people, be happy, go to conferences, have ice cream, relax. Like it's a very great way of showing that contrast. They actually, Trunks kind of has a, a minor breakdown not long after that, kind of realizing the same thing when when Gohan invites Trunks over for for dinner to introduce him to his new family, Videl and Pan and, you know, his father-in-law, Mr. Hercule. And (laughs) uh, there's a scene where they're outside for a moment and everyone's going back inside to, to grab the grub that Videl had just finished cooking. And Trunks actually stops and he starts tearing up over the idea of this is, like, this is all he ever wanted. He wanted to share a life with Mai and Balma and just have all the normal things that, that Trunks is currently experiencing. And it kind of it kind of breaks Trunks a little bit. He starts losing his composure and tearing up over the idea of what he could have had, except for, you know, Goku Black showing up and ruining that for, for everybody. Yeah, it's it's a great scene. And we even, kind of what you described there, we get Trunks imagining what that would have looked like it's a it basically shows him imagining this scene with Mai and Balma these two women that he cares very much for and them just sitting around a table having dinner and laughing and that's all that stuff has been stolen from trunks that's been taken away from him uh and so I I love this I I don't blame him for getting emotional in this moment. I, I'm, I in fact, you know, feel for him as as the audience. And in that moment, he, I think he even expresses maybe to himself, but he expresses that he remembers what he's fighting for and why he's trying so hard to save his world. And I love that. If not for that that kind of breakdown and I guess realization of what he's doing. I did not like this episode up until that happened. And then I like this episode. It, <laughs> it was one of those things where it felt like this big colossal 
I guess, waste of time to me until Trunks kind of has that breakdown and it really tries to like shake the the viewer and tell you like Trunks has not had a normal life. He doesn't know what a normal life looks like. And all this is very alien and bizarre to him. Yeah. And one of the other things I like about this scene too, is that Trunks, Trunks is on a, a, an emotional and mental journey throughout this whole episode, throughout this whole day that he spends with Gohan, Videl, Pan, Mr. Satan, and initially, it's just about his recognition of the fact that Gohan seems like he has no power. Uh, that, like, where Trunks is almost putting strength as the the value of a person here. And then, as Trunks spends time with Gohan and sees the life that Gohan has built, the life that was taken away from Trunks, Trunks is happy for Gohan. Trunks realizes that this is what the Gohan from his timeline wanted all along. And future Gohan, just like future Trunks, had that stolen away from him, had his family murdered at the hands of the androids, and then himself was murdered by the androids. So this is this is excellent character development for Trunks and excellent to see him kind of going through this emotional journey. I, I will say when Trunks finally says his farewell to Gohan to go back and, I guess, meet up with the other Z fighters, when Trunks flies off, uh, Videl and Gohan bring up the fact that they never even asked why Trunks was in their timeline. <laughs> I don't know why that bothered me. I was just like, it would have been fine if before he left, you know, they asked like, hey, by the way, why are you here? And then maybe Trunks being like, you know what? I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to draw you into this. Like, I'm just here to visit or something. You just keep living your peaceful life. I would have loved something like that. But the fact that they were just, eh, we forgot. <laughs> I don't know why feel, that bothers me. Yeah. And I, I think I get that. I get your point there because it, it does feel a little bit thoughtless from uh, from Gohan and Videl in particular. I I could maybe try to explain it away by the fact that they are they're so busy in their lifestyles and they've got this, you know, this young girl and they're trying to entertain somebody uh, that they haven't seen in years. Um, But yeah, I I could see your, your complaint with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not a big deal. It's just one of those things where you didn't think to ask. (laughs) Yeah. You spent the whole day eating ice cream with them. I'm sure it would have come up at some point. Yeah. You'd think they would have at least, you know, talked about him talked about trunks a little bit which uh <laughs> i feel like that would have come up at some point but yeah you know oh, oh well it doesn't it doesn't really ruin anything it just a little bugaboo but i think outside of that the last thing that we are left off with is goku beerus and Whis are setting off to the 10th universe to investigate a lead on this goku black and the last thing we are left with is an image of some green-looking Kai pushing a cart of tea, and that is more or less where the episode ends. These episodes are great. Uh, the The way that they just string the audience along with this carrot out in front of them, at the end of every episode, there's just this little nugget of information, and I like it. I like it a lot. I like the way that they're formatting them. The pacing is much better in these episodes than some of the earlier arcs. Uh, what did you think about this episode, Dayton? I mean, by the end of this episode, I felt like I felt like I really knew and could relate to Trunks. I felt like he 
over several episodes, they've done a good job of just getting across all the stuff he's dealt with, all the people he's lost, all the pain he's felt, and how different his timeline is and his life is from everyone else's. And this is this episode is just kind of the, I guess, the final brick to the house that they're building with this character. It's the the final pillar of really understanding Trunks. So it's it's another one of those. It's not an action-packed episode. It's not exciting. But by the end of it, you feel like you really have gotten to know Trunks very well. Right, and I agree. And honestly, with this being my second time really watching all the way through these, I I think I enjoyed these episodes the first time through because I like future Trunks' character. But I like these even more the second time through, if only because of a lot of the details that we've talked about with what they're doing with Trunks' character and how they're trying to open him up for the audience to really understand him. I feel like that's not something that Dragon Ball does very often, at least not on this kind of a deep level that they do with future Trunks. No, it's actually, I mean, especially at this point in Dragon Ball, the building up a character from an emotional level is not something they do very often. There might be an emotional sacrifice or an emotional scene, but the fact that we've spent several episodes really getting to know one of the main characters and making them relatable and making them understandable, this has been a lot of buildup on one character, and I, I think it's gives a lot of weight to their actions and decisions and the the story and the environment that they're going through. I, I really like it. It's it's kind of a change from things, and I think it's a good change. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think we're going to move on to the next episode here. I just want to point out real quick that this is probably going to be a longer podcast episode because there's a lot to talk about here, and we really like these episodes. Um, but we're going to try to speed through these last four episodes a little bit um there's a lot to talk about though lots of content here <laughs> yeah 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 i'll try and uh, pick up the pace a little bit uh who buddy okay so episode 53 <laughs> uh reveal black's true identity now to the kaioshin realm of universe 10 did i say that right yeah yeah you got it <laughs> <laughs> okay cool all right so the episode starts off with a little bit of conversation and uh zamusu is finally revealed to be the character who is pushing the cart and the character that they are going to investigate right we get a a brief exchange between goasu and zamasu and goasu appears to be zamasu's mentor and uh they they're drinking tea that Zamasu uh, brewed himself. Uh, and we get the impression that these guys uh, are, I think the information is revealed to us eventually that these two, well, Goasu is the Kai of the Supreme Kai of our 10th universe. And Zamasu is basically a Kai in training. And I think we'll we'll also find out eventually from as Whis, Beerus, and Goku arrive here, uh, we get a some dialogue back and forth, finding out that Zamasu was originally in the position of like a King Kai, and because of his prowess with combat martial arts, he was chosen to. Uh, 
to study under Goasu to become the Kai of the 10th universe. I already find that dynamic interesting because Kais are supposed to be peacekeepers and I guess are there to foster life and kind of build as a contrast to the gods of destruction who destroy. And this Zamasu was chosen to be the next Supreme Kai based off of his ability to kick ass. Yeah, yeah, that is kind <laughs> of a... Honestly, I didn't even think about that until you said that, which is kind of funny. But, I mean, at the same time, the Supreme Kai in Universe 7, I mean, they make it a big deal that he's the roughly as strong as Frieza or maybe stronger. and so. It seems like if something were to go down in that universe that needed somebody to intervene, they want the Kais to be strong. Peacekeepers, um, even... right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, does that make them like like a law enforcement sort of role? I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, I guess I haven't really put a whole lot of thought into what they actually do, because up till this point, they just kind of sit around and watch things. Yeah. I but mean, then again... Lo- with Boo, they were trying to intervene, so there is there's definitely some evidence that they are kind of the, the space police for, I guess, universe destructive forces, only when necessary. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's even, we don't get to see it on screen necessarily, but the Supreme Kai talks about how he fought against Bibidi, Bobbidi's father, and him trying to uh, release Boo onto the universe. And so they they do fight when they need to, it seems like. So I, that is interesting. So we already, uh, I think right off the bat, I was always suspicious of Zamasu. They, he's always got kind of this menacing look. He's always taking things seriously. And right away, we get a conversation between uh, Goasu and Zamasu where Zamasu questions whether mortals are worthy of protection offered by the deities. And that feels like a question that uh, protectors of the universe shouldn't be asking. Right. And Dragon Ball is usually pretty straightforward and upfront about its villains. Zamasu is maybe one of the only villains that they don't really try to let on immediately. I mean... Obviously, the audience is like, this guy's super shady. Uh, And so we're going to get Whis, Beerus, and Goku kind of doing some digging here where Goku is, all he wants to do is fight Zamasu. So he's pushing for that. Uh, Zamasu is immediately, again, showing his character. He's offended that a mortal would be so forward with him and touching him and all this stuff. Yeah, how dare you speak or speak or even touch me, mortal? Yeah, yeah, it's some good lines for Zamasu. Uh, but Whis eventually pushes Whis and Beerus push to see the time rings that Goasu is guarding, which is a they're implying that maybe this Goku Black stole or took the time rings from Universe Ten and is using them to travel through time. Yeah, and during the scene, uh, it's revealed that Zamasu has actually not seen or even really heard of the time rings. So at this point, he's kind of being ruled out as, I guess, our main villain here because he's 
it seems like he's incapable of of i guess traversing time and causing these problems and once the time rings are actually brought forth we see that they're all there that all the time rings are accounted for right and it it's kind of explained to us in this moment that there are uh well actually i might be jumping the shark here a little bit but we find out that the time rings here there's basically one silver one and four emerald time rings and uh the four emerald ones are from time when the timeline is diverged because of an action that somebody took like trunks going back in a time machine for oh instance. come on that wouldn't cause a divergence no not at all um actually by that logic would i guess our z fighters universe be the one that should be destroyed because it's the divergent timeline mm. okay maybe we shouldn't talk about that maybe <laughs> maybe Zedon's gonna blow something up oh uh, yeah yeah but this kind of leads into Goasu encouraging Zamasu to fight with Goku. And Goasu is using it as a way to see if Zamasu is uh, can keep his emotions in check when dealing with a mortal, more or less. Yeah, and uh, Beerus even makes the comment before they, they start fighting that uh, Zamasu should probably use all of his strength because if he doesn't, Goku might kill him. And that's something that catches everyone, or both of the uh, the Kais, off guard. Yeah, absolutely. And before we get into the fight, there is a cut back to our past timeline with a scene that I adore, uh, because it's Trunks, Krillin, and... Uh, well, Trunks and Krillin initially having a conversation. And Krillin's asking Trunks a little bit about his life. Uh, Krillin reveals that he is married and has a child. And so Trunks shows interest and says, oh, you know, uh, tell me about your wife. Oh, you know her. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You've met her before. Yeah, Krillin's kind of backpedaling here where he's like, oh, crap, I shouldn't have opened my fat mouth. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Which is great. And that results in 18 showing up with Marin, Krillin and 18's daughter, and Trunks's initial reaction of just, oh crap, it's 18. Let me grab my sword because it's a it's fight time. Let's go. <laughs> that is until she turns and sees the little baby hanging off of 18's shoulders. And uh I think there's some a, a look of being flabbergasted on Trunks when he's trying to drink in this whole situation, and I love it. Oh, yeah. And I actually wrote down some of 18's dialogue here because it's so good. I have to talk about it. Uh, She basically walks up to Trunks and gives him like a little punch in the chest, not, you know, just toying with him. And so she she says in an incredibly sassy tone, the voice actress here does a great job. But she says, so I hear you killed me off in your timeline, didn't you, you little you arrogant little punk? Then I demand retribution. I'm going to make you pay. And she pauses briefly and laughs and says, gotcha. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That joke is really, really cruel. And it makes me laugh. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's so good. Like, what a fantastic, just 
view into 18 as a character and she doesn't outside of the tournament of power she doesn't get a lot of screen time and half the time it's just her being greedy which i'm kind of indifferent about but the moments that she gets outside of that where she's shown with krillin or she's shown you know really showing her personality i love her the the writing for her is great in that way i i had a good laugh at that and just it's it's kind of that moment that we all needed to see of what does trunks think about krillin marrying the i probably one of the main villains from his timeline <laughs> like what kind oh, of yeah. reaction would that get yeah yeah she, she i mean she murdered trunks's mentor in future gohan so i i like that they they address this i like that trunks gets to see 18 and he kind of dips out he's like uh i'm gonna go do something else <laughs> uh it was perfect it was a great scene i freaking loved it yeah but, but i think that from it, there we dive into uh a little bit of combat action with Goku firing up to Super Saiyan 2 and preparing to square off against uh, uh, Zamasu in their little sparring match. Absolutely. And Goku basically goes up to Super Saiyan 2 uh, because that's what he fought Black at. So he probably assumes that's good enough for this sparring match anyway. And I know we, we were talking about some of the fights in these episodes are are not great one of the things that i did like about this fight is that zamasu looks like he's using some sort of aikido martial arts aikido being more like kind of redirecting people's energy and their momentum and he expects that to be enough to kind of deflect goku's attack and then knock him out and Goku's just fast enough that he's, you know, he's not getting caught off guard by uh, Zamasu's techniques, which it's a fun little exchange to watch. Yeah, Goku's almost initially caught off guard by Zamasu's ability to kind of deflect his attack. And you get to see this really cool kind of backwards bicycle kick that almost catches Zamasu off guard. And early in the exchange, Zamasu is actually very arrogant and kind of, you can tell he doesn't think that this fight's really worthy of his time, but it doesn't take long for Goku to start overpowering him. And Goku does eventually defeat Zamasu. And when Zamasu's kind of uh, unguarded and on the ground, Goku stops a punch just a couple inches from his face and kind of calls the fight there. And just, I love this scene because you can tell that Zamasu is offended by this result offended by what goku's done to him and there's a brief moment of goku reaching down telling him good fight and trying to help him off the ground and zamasu just visibly enraged begins powering up and you hear his mentor uh goasu kind of call out and tell him to to hold back stop don't do it I love this scene. I think it's very telling of what kind of character that we're dealing with here. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that I wasn't sure how to feel about this with Goasu because it's clear that he sees he sees this element of darkness in Zamasu in his student at least in some way, shape, or form. Like he knows that Zamasu has these kind of problems in his in his character, and 
maybe Goasu is just such a good person that he's willing to kind of overlook them and he's willing to try to educate Zamasu, I guess, is, is probably the best way that I could really explain this away because it otherwise it seems strange that Goasu would just ignore these problems that Zamasu has in his morality, I guess, as a as a person or really as a as a deific being. I mean, I do think that there's at least some effort for Goasu to try and, I guess, correct Zamasu's character. I do think it was the mentor right. trying to teach the student. And I I also get the feeling that Zamasu, in well, I guess in relative to Kai terms, is very young. And I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of leeway granted to somebody who's as young as Zamasu is, and that there's going to be some teaching and correcting. And I suppose if you're gosh, a, a timeless mentor, you would be more than willing to spend as much time as it would take to try and help somebody and, and make them better. I do think that that's more of a Kai thing, whereas, you know, the God of Destruction is supposed to be kind of the, the other side of that coin, the I'm not going to fix it, I'm going to break it. So I don't know <laughs> if Kais are even able to kind of give up on somebody like that. Right. And those are good points. I think that that's kind of what we're seeing from Goasu and really kind of the Kais in general, like you said, and that, I mean, Goasu is very accepting of, uh, of the, I mean, not the humans, but just the mortals. And uh, that's kind of the same, he's showing that same acceptance to Zamasu. So I think that kind of brings us close to the tail end of the episode here. The only other couple of details that I have is that I think Whis, Beerus, and Goku all kind of notice that Zamasu's key felt similar to Black's. And then we kind of end on Zamasu's kind of internal monologue here where what he learned from his exchange with Goku was that Mortals are dangerous, and he says that he will never forget Goku, which is going to be important later. <laughs> oh yeah, he and it's definitely not a, uh, I guess a favorable or favorable kind of inflection on he he will never forget Goku. It's it's definitely menacingly kind of put out there. So I think uh, I think we're creating some some storyline and dialogue and connection between these two characters yeah absolutely so real quick what did you think about that episode dayton uh great episode love that episode i think it was we're we're building up uh the, our potential villain here and i freaking love it yeah there's a lot of really good information here uh it's again the pacing for this one was good it has some really good characterization even in the downtime with uh krillin 18 and trunks that part was also really good so but i think that's pretty much going to move us on to the next episode which is episode 54 inheritor of the saiyan blood trunks resolve and uh yeah this this episode begins with a trunks kind of meditating floating on the surface of a pond uh kind of envisioning his fight or upcoming fight with Goku Black. So we get a little bit of that sweet, hot meditating action in Dragon Ball. 
Right. Yeah. And and we've seen this before uh, with characters doing image training. So this is this is a good callback. Uh, I feel like the really the beginning of this episode is a little bit sl- on the slower side. It is, um, and I don't mind skimming over it because there's a lot of Pilaf gang helping Bulma reconstruct the ship. Uh, Pilaf can code. In fact, he says you don't master world domination without learning how to code. So he's going to be the guy who helps <laughs> with that end of it. Um, but yeah, there's a bunch of that happening, and then we get... Uh, Whis, Goku, and Beerus kind of crashing back into the planet um, due to the bickering between Goku and Beerus. Whis couldn't concentrate, so it was a little little more reckless than usual. But they do discuss how similar Zamasu's energy is to Goku Black, but it doesn't have, and the way they put it is, the same suffocating negative energy. And I kind of like that little note. Right, yeah, they kind of explained that Blacks was more sinister than Zamasu's, which is is again going to be important here. But uh, that we're kind of moving right along through the episode. It kind of takes us to um, Zamasu and Goasu are looking in on some mortals, and we get them getting ready to use the the time rings, uh, which. An important note here that Goasu tells Zamasu is that only a Kai can use the time rings, and the kind of indicator of a Kai is these specific Patara earrings, which apparently are the green ones that Goasu is wearing, whereas the orange ones, I guess, indicate a Kai in training, as far as I understand. Okay, it's only, uh, I think he said only a Supreme Kai can use it. It's specifically that rank, right? Right, yeah, you're right. And so uh, Zamasu has not reached the rank of Supreme Kai yet. So basically, Goasu has to give Zamasu one of his earrings so that Zamasu can even use the time ring with him. And so he donates a uh, Supreme Kai Patar earring. I think that's what they're called, right? Patar? You got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm learning my Dragon Balls. Um, that's right. And so uh, they use it to teleport, or I guess go a thousand years into the future to see how this kind of uh, caveman race develops. This barbaric, brutal uh, race of mortals develops after a thousand years. And they travel a thousand years into the future, and we see them at first kind of walking around in a little tribe slash colony, and Goasu points out, oh wow, they've, they've developed fire, they're learning. And it doesn't take long for them to start just brutally beating each other. And violence just kind of overtakes the scene. And Zamasu kind of looks down at this. And what he finds is more or less conviction in what he's been thinking. That mortals are violent and dangerous. Yeah, yeah. I I think this is kind of having the opposite effect of what Goasu was trying to impart on Zamasu in that... This just validates Zamasu's feelings about uh, mortals being dangerous, and they should be uh, they should be dealt with. They should be purged almost. And rather than, I guess, learning any any sort of level of appreciation for mortals, the only questions that Zamasu starts asking is the capabilities and limitations of the time ring. He seems only, I guess, <laughs> concerned with learning how to how to use the time rings and what the limitations are and what you can and cannot do. 
which should be a red flag if you're, you know, Goasu. Absolutely. I mean, I, those those little details are going to be very important coming up as we're going to find out. But the show eventually or ends up cutting over to Vegeta and Trunks and they're getting ready to do some training here. So Trunks powers up to Super Saiyan 2 and uh, Vegeta powers up straight away to Super Saiyan Blue here for the fight. Yeah, he's uh he's not holding back at all. And kind of what we see happen next is Trunks is going to respond to Super Saiyan Blue by going into his good old super bulky form that did not work against Cell all those years ago. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got the Trunks's Super Saiyan Grade 3 here and it draws Vegeta in, and the interesting part here about this fight is that Trunks uses it almost as a feint. He uses it to get Vegeta to come in on him, thinking that Vegeta will be much faster. And then Trunks drops the form so that he can match Vegeta's speed, or at least attempt to. Uh, but, I mean, the the disparity in power here between Super Saiyan Blue and Super Saiyan 2 is just too much. Uh, yeah, is just pummeling Trunks. It does not take long for Trunks to just get overwhelmed, and Trunks is more or less just destroyed in just a couple of blows and is kind of knocked back into a wall and brought down to his knees, knocked right out of his Super Saiyan 2 form. Yeah, and uh, one important detail that we should probably mention here is that when they started this fight, Vegeta said that Trunks wins if he can land a single blow on Vegeta. Uh, and up to this point where Vegeta's knocked him into the wall and knocked Trunks out of his Super Saiyan form, Trunks hasn't touched Vegeta thus far. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been a one-sided fight and things aren't even close. And now that Trunks is kind of brought to his knees, he starts thinking about how, how much more powerful uh, Vegeta and Goku are compared to him. And he has this realization that if he he doesn't really matter if he can just get them to his timeline they could beat black and everything could be saved and i think vegeta kind of catches on to this thought and this enrages him and he yeah. picks trunks off the ground by his collar basically and starts just yelling at him yeah this is this is some there's some great dialogue here because when trunks kind of realizes how powerful vegeta and goku are he smiles like he's he, he like you said Dayton he basically feels that his own strength doesn't matter uh because Goku and Vegeta can bail him out of the problem that he's in and Vegeta's pissed Vegeta is uh talking to Trunks and telling him you know where's your saiyan pride you are my son you <laughs> i think one of the lines i wrote down for from Vegeta's dialogue is you'll be the best or you'll be nothing. I love this so much. I love this line. And Goku has brought Bulma to the fight here to watch it. And she hears Vegeta just berating trunks after everything that's happened to him. And she's, she's upset. She's yelling at Vegeta to stop and that he's, he's just been through enough at this point. Yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, through all of this, the one thing I do like about it is that it kind of it kind of builds some resolve back into Trunks, something that he's been sorely missing this whole time. And uh, 
Actually, I think you like this scene. Uh, uh, does Trunks end up landing a, a blow on Vegeta? He does. This is great. And he basically takes this opportunity where Vegeta is distracted and just headbutts the shit out of Vegeta. And uh, Trunks kind of smugly says that he's won the fight. Um, <laughs> but Trunks' whole demeanor has changed after this exchange with Vegeta. And Trunks says, he says to Vegeta, I'll get stronger than Black and stronger than you, which is a hell of a claim. And man, is that a good line. <laughs> I freaking love it. And I think Vegeta appreciates it too. That's kind of the conviction that he's been looking for. Something that, that Trunks has been sorely lacking since he got back. Yeah. And I mean, Vegeta kind of huffs and walks away. Uh, but Trunks in this moment, we get his internal monologue saying, thank you, father, to Vegeta. And I, I love the end of this because uh, Goku's like, see, Bulma, I told you that this is, you know, this is just how Saiyans are. This is, you know, this is how it would work out. And Bulma says, you Saiyans are nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm with Bulma on this one. Uh, uh, I just watched my husband beat my future son for like five minutes. And then he said, thank you and left. <laughs> oh, man, it's so good. Like, it's just it's the perfect interaction between Trunks and Vegeta and just shows exactly. It's a perfect expression of those two characters and their relationship together. I love it. it it's so good. I think, uh. I think after that, the the last little thing we get from this episode is that uh, there's a call over to Weiss's staff. And uh, I believe, as you mentioned, uh, Weiss was busy being knuckle deep in sauce. Uh, That's right. Cooking. cooking. And so <laughs> uh, Beerus has to answer the, um, the galactic telephone. And it is Grand Zeno calling and asking asking for a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Goku. And this is uh, kind of a surprise to everybody. Yeah, that's uh, another episode cliffhanger there for us. So for me, in terms of this episode, the beginning's a little bit slower. Um, however, the, the meat that we get with trunks and vegeta the exchange is fantastic uh the 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 information that we get um uh, kind of about zamasu and goasu and learning about the time ring a little bit more is good so it's it's kind of a middling episode it, it really picked up for me with vegeta and trunks though it really did the first half of this episode is, is kind of slow uh the interaction between and I like seeing the occasional Vegeta good guy stuff because it makes him seem a little bit more, I guess, of a of a living, breathing creature who has thoughts and feelings rather than just the angry, spiky head guy that we see 95% of the time. Right. So I, I did really appreciate that. The end of this episode really kind of brings it back into a favorable view for me. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I like getting to see him grow as a character. Uh, so I'm pretty happy with the end of that episode. But I think that takes us down to the next episode. Which is episode 55. Hey, I want to meet Son Goku. A summons from the Omni King. And uh, let's see if we can burn through this one. Yeah, so basically... 
Zeno summons Goku. Goku uh, heads with Beerus and Whis to meet with Zeno. Uh, they're all worried that Goku's going to cause problems. And um, basically, we find out that Zeno wants to... He just wants a friend. He, he thinks that Goku is fun, and he wants a friend to play with, more or less. And uh, Goku is kind of, you know, dealing with the future trunk stuff, and he says he doesn't really have time to play right now. And uh, Zeno says, all right, well, here, I'll give you this button, and it'll summon me so that way we can play whenever you're free. And Goku says, all right, that's cool. And also, I'll find you someone else, like another friend, who's even more fun than I am. And Grand Zeno is really excited about that. Uh, Goku shakes his hand, which kind of shakes him around, and then they kind of part ways with kind of the, I guess, Goku giving him a rain check on hanging out, and they teleport back out of there. We find out that uh, Goku actually has no idea who this other friend that he's going to introduce to Grand Zeno is, but he'll figure it out later, which uh, understandably makes all the Supreme Kai and Beerus and all of them kind of, you know, figure out that, all right, well, the the universe is going to end because Goku just lied to God. (laughs) (laughs) yeah leave it to goku to uh not have a follow-through on one of his plans Uh, you know surprise surprise it definitely made me laugh that goku just kind of you know i'll lie to god it's whatever yeah who cares it'll be fine (laughs) um but the the button there is this is some good foreshadowing again uh super does a good job of laying out the sequence of events and giving us information that is going to be important later. So again, good job on that super. Uh, but we're kind of jumping around in terms of the sequence of events in this episode. Um, more or less, that's pretty much what happens with Zeno. Uh, we get a few sequences with Zamasu and Goasu here where they use the time ring to jump forward in time again, observing the same kind of prehistoric mortals almost. Uh, but they once more end up just attacking one another, even after creating a little bit more of a civilization. And one of them eventually attacks the Kais. And Goasu doesn't do much to intervene. However, Zamasu steps in, deflecting the uh, mortal's attack, and then murdering this mortal brutally, just knife hand cutting this thing in two. And uh, Gawasu is not pleased with how Zamasu decided to handle this situation. No, uh, Zamasu just explains that he thinks that mortals are, are evil, and if mortals are evil, we should wipe them out. And Gawasu says that, well, no, evil informs good, and that they balance each other out. And I like this, that Zamasu just responds that, uh, evil just sullies good and it should be eradicated and we kind of get the like i guess the conviction is finally there and zamasu at this point it seems like he's he's made up his mind and where he stands in all of this yeah yeah and i think the last sequence of events here that we kind of had to cover for this episode is uh back in the past timeline with trunks vegeta and goku where Balma has finished repairing the time machine and she has enough time juice for them to go back to the future. And so they do so. Uh, Goku, Trunks, and Vegeta all cramming themselves into the small space in the time machine. And 
one of the first things that we see when they get back is that Trunks finds Mai's hat lying on the ground with Mai nowhere to be seen. Yeah, and this uh this this adds to some some uncertainty to Trunks on where everything is kind of heading right now, but there's not a whole lot of lot of time to think about it because resistance fighters see Goku and immediately start launching an attack towards him and right at that point is more or less where the episode cuts and we see Goku under attack from the resistance fighters. Right. This is our our cliffhanger here for this episode. And so what did you think about this one, Dayton? Uh, I mean, I thought this episode was was fine. It was a good episode. It wasn't my favorite episode in the story arc, but we also I mean, for me the biggest and most important thing or a couple things that happened here is we get uh the Z fighters heading over to Trunks timeline so that can start establishing that story arc and we get I do like the kind of conviction that's been given to Zamasu now. We've really established where he stands on things and he's kind of he's not really waffling anymore. He knows what he wants to do and I do like that. But other than that it was a little drawn out. Um it was a little slow at the start but it was okay. I felt pretty similar about it. The honestly the Zeno stuff I, I could kind of take or leave. I wasn't a big fan of it and it the it kind of made the pacing feel slow for this episode. Uh and it also introduces one of my least favorite things about this entire story arc which is the button. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Well, I mean, you know, it's uh it's Chekhov's gun, right? Like, if now we have the button, the button has to be used. So uh, just sit back and wait, I guess. Ah, uh, the stupid button. <laughs> but that's going to take us on to our last episode that we're covering tonight. Which is episode 56, Rematch with Goku Black, Introducing Super Saiyan Rosé. Yeah, now that title is, uh, I mean, a little bit spoilery, but also draws the intrigue but uh yeah we get uh we get the episode beginning with trunks kind of leaping up and protecting goku from the attack and telling the resistance fighters to hold their fire because you got to remember all the guys in this timeline think that uh goku is looks just like goku black they don't know who normal goku is right yeah i mean they they see the very iconic hair of goku they see you know this same figure same face so they're gonna attack this they think that this is the person who is murdering the entire human race at this point and trunks more or less you know stops them talks them down uh they end up recognizing trunks and realize that he's pretty much the world's savior at this point or at least you know the only person who can fight with Black on any sort of even footing. Which I do think it's cool that they almost kind of like fan out over Trunks and people are asking for his autograph and they're excited to meet him and they tell him it's an honor. I absolutely love that because that would absolutely be the case. This is the only guy who's ever stood toe-to-toe with Goku Black. Yeah, yeah. And this is kind of funny, especially because... This is almost a really big contrast to what we see with the Z fighters in kind of our standard timeline where none of them want to be in the spotlight. Not that Trunks necessarily wants to be in the spotlight, but he absolutely is. And uh, I mean, our characters like Goku and Gohan, 
who have saved the world on several occasions, nope, almost nobody knows anything about them. Almost nobody knows that they've saved the planet on multiple occasions. And Trunks's dynamic is a lot different. He's not just going to fight the the main bad guy in some barren rocky wasteland and beat him there. It's it's him just trying to keep humans alive. It's him just trying to make sure that humanity isn't completely annihilated. And so he's working with them and it's by necessity. He's not trying to be in the spotlight. He's just trying to help people. And just if you're going to help people and you're doing a good job of it or you're somebody exceptional, word's gonna get out and it it absolutely makes sense to me. I really like this dynamic. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Basically, the soldiers end up revealing that they they know about the time travel plan, and they assume that that's these fighters, this Goku and Vegeta, are people that Trunks went to get help from. Uh, but this is kind of telling to Trunks, because the only people who knew about the time travel plan were Mai and Balma, who he assumes are both dead. And so this is kind of, along with Mai's hat and the lack of her body, Trunks thinks that Mai's alive in this moment. Uh, and so it kind of carries us to the next scene where the soldiers lead them to this underground uh, resistance camp. And that's where we get to see Mai and Trunks reunited. Yeah, we get this kind of, I guess, emotional breakdown out of Trunks when he sees Mai, who he thought was dead this, I guess, this whole time. And he's just kind of overwhelmed with, like, tears and joy seeing her actually alive. And there's kind of this, I guess you could call it, like, cute little couple exchange between the two as they share their feelings. Yeah, uh, I, I will say briefly that I did kind of want to see a little bit more. I, I wish that they would not do kind of like the treat the relationship between Mai and Trunks kind of so childish or juvenile just for kind of laughs. Um, but outside of that, it's, it's nice to see them get reunited. Uh, we do get to see the soldiers talking Mai up and talking about how Mai fought against black again. The, the only thing I want to mention here too, and tell me your thoughts on this Dayton, because as much as I like this story, it still seems strange to me that Mai has survived against Black on multiple, multiple occasions and just gotten away scot-free without being killed. Yeah, especially in these situations where I guess it's just her kind of facing off against Black or maybe her and a couple other soldiers. I get it maybe when Trunks is there to kind of step in at the last moment to try and distract or save the day or that sort of thing. But I mean, Black, he wouldn't hesitate to just fire a key blast in her direction and kill her and everybody within a half mile of her location. And I agree. It is, it is kind of weird. I kind of would have preferred if maybe Mai was just moving people and kind of helping Trunks where she could and more or less avoiding the fight rather than taking the fight head on. Cause I think they even show a scene where they're all gosh, underground in like a subway kind of area and they're just firing missiles at black. Who's marching at them. Uh, how are they all not just wiped out in one flash of the hand? Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's how I feel about it too. It, the scenes that they show where my is fighting against black it's hard for me to believe that Mai would be able to get out of those situations alive. 
And I, I know they show them with flash grenades and they've got their own little tactics like dropping buildings on them and stuff. But I mean, we've seen the stuff that Goku can do. We've seen the stuff that Trunks and Vegeta can do. Like, And Black is you know, on par with them. It's hard for me to believe that she's able to get out alive every single time. But... I mean, kind of like what we talked about earlier. Uh, you know, Raditz could catch bullets at his power level. Ooh. These guys are still using bullets and they're trying to fight somebody who's on the level of, yeah, the level of gods, basically. How how does yeah. this even compare? Right. Uh, I guess in the end, if there wasn't some sort of resistance, we wouldn't have a story here, more or less. So, I do like how they but... show the resistance kind of being whittled down at this point, whereas there was, you know, kind of quite a few people and refugees and, I guess, humans kind of clinging on to survival. There's a panning shot at this point, and there's only maybe a couple dozen left. The resistance is whittled down to almost nothing at this point. That's a good point. It, they do a good job of showing that you kind of see them in this underground tunnel, and it almost looks barren. Like, there's a couple of fires. There's a couple of little, like, structures and lean-tos and stuff for the, the resistance, but it's really sparse. Yeah, um, and we get uh, a scene where... Vegeta whips out a capsule full of food to feed all the people who are kind of still clinging on for life and the remaining resistance members. And this is about the time that we uh, we find out that Yajirobe's still alive and kicking it in future <laughs> Trunks storyline. I thought this was kind of funny and it it feels, I don't know, maybe somewhat appropriate, but also surprising because... You know, we all know Yajirobe is a little bit of a coward, even though he's helped out the Z fighters on several occasions. Hey, but, but cowards live, and that's what's important. And that's exactly what the resistance soldiers say, too. <laughs> that anytime there's a yeah. fight, Yajirobe hides or runs away. <laughs> yeah, but when there's food, he shows up, so at least he's there. Hey, you know, as long as he's there for the meals, that's what really counts. <laughs> <laughs> so we get uh, the scene where. The remaining resistance folks are fed some actual food and everyone's really just kind of overwhelmed with joy about it. I think there's a scene where Trunks is like making faces at little kids and stuff and cheering him up and showing how great of a guy he is. And um, I think unless there's anything else with that you'd like to talk about, I think we jump over to the scene where uh, we get the Z fighters trying to get the attention of Goku Black. Yeah, and this is more or less them just shooting key blasts out into the air until he shows up, which is kind of a funny <laughs> way to do it. But, uh, I mean, Black immediately takes the bait. He he appears, and uh, Vegeta's like, it's my turn to fight you, Black. And so he powers up immediately to Super Saiyan Blue. Again, like we've talked about, Vegeta at this point, it's not about messing around. He wants to get this job done. Yeah, and okay. even after firing up all the way to Super Saiyan Blue, uh, Goku Black doesn't seem to be, I guess, bothered by it one little bit. It doesn't seem to catch him off guard, which is strange because the last time we saw him, he was only about on par with a Super Saiyan 2, and so this is this should be a big power gap considering the time frame. Right, yeah. And the other thing, too, here is that we've... We know that mortals generally can't sense God key. They can't gauge the power of Super Saiyan Blue or Super Saiyan God. But, well, as we're going to find out soon, I mean, 
Black here is kind of acting like he's some sort of deity or some sort of judge for mortals. So even though at this point we don't necessarily know what's going on, we assume that he he might be able to sense God Key. So he probably has a good idea as to how strong Vegeta is. Yeah, and the the fight kind of fires off pretty quick here. And we get Super Saiyan Blue Vegeta just kind of beating around uh, Goku Black. But Goku Black appears to be kind of smiling through the whole thing. Even at Super Saiyan Blue, Vegeta's punches don't seem to really be phasing him. Right, and that kind of leads into Black going on the offensive. He pretty easily knocks Vegeta away and off of him. And he is ready to show us his little trick at this point. And we get him powering up. He gets this kind of black and pink aura. And we get the reveal of Super Saiyan Rose. Yeah, this is a a brand new form that I don't think anyone has seen before. And Zamasu seems to be really impressed with the capability of reaching this new form. And almost kind of presents it as the his like his perfection. He's hit like the the pinnacle of what power should be. Yeah, and this is some. I mean, this is you know typical villain monologuing here, right? And uh, being very full of themselves. And something we haven't actually brought up yet that I wanted to kind of point out is that the English dub takes Sean Schemmel, our voice actor for Goku, and puts him in the role of Goku Black. And Sean Shemmel is doing a, a good job of differentiating those two voices where he he speaks much more proper. He gives uh, Goku Black much more of a kind of a... not um, kind of a darker tone, I guess, to him. He's He's not as upbeat and happy and excited as our typical Goku is. Yeah, your your typical Goku, there's almost like this kind of carefreeness to him. There's this his voice range is going to jump up and down a whole bunch and it's going to it's going to sound really lighthearted and goofy and fun whereas this this Zamasu voice it's very serious. There's not a point where he's hitting those high peaks and and goofing off and just like you said, he also sounds proper. There's a big difference between the way these two characters speak and you could close your eyes and tell who, which Goku is speaking, which I really like. Yeah, it's very well done. And at this point, as we get the transformation, uh, there's there's almost this element of such cockiness that we assume that uh, that Goku Black in his pink-haired rosé form is just going to demolish Vegeta. But they do a little bit of a turn where Vegeta catches a punch from Goku Black and then delivers a flurry of blows himself with a nice final uppercut, this nice little Shoryuken move. And uh, unfortunately, that doesn't last very long where we get, we get, uh, I almost said the wrong name, we get Goku Black uh, stabbing Vegeta through the torso with this key blade from his hand. Yeah, it's kind of the sudden stoppage of the momentum that we thought Vegeta was gaining. And just he's kind of stopped in the middle of his tracks and just 
there's this keyblade going right through the center of his chest and just it seems like a, a devastating attack on Vegeta. And at that point, you see Vegeta kind of like fall back and fall to the ground and is taken out of the fight just in, in one move. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Trunks goes to check on Vegeta. Goku in that moment steps in in Super Saiyan Blue form. And they begin fighting, and Trunks kind of thinks that the fight is evenly matched, and Vegeta says, uh, no, you're wrong. And <laughs> in that moment, we see Black kind of pummel Goku to the ground and then charge up Black's own version of a Kamehameha. Uh, and then we get kind of our final reveal for this episode here. Dayton, if you want to yeah, give that the... to us. The the sky, we hear a voice uh, kind of call out and tell Goku Black to stop. And the sky sort of opens up and we get this golden light that pierces through these black skies. And we see lower down from the sky, uh, Zamasu. And he kind of lowers down and tells Black that, uh, you know, you we both agreed that I would be the person who finished off Goku. And both of them are looking down and are now kind of beaten and battered Z fighters who are kind of laying on the ground and at this point looking like they're in pretty rough shape. Yeah. And one little important detail here with Zamasu and the way that he's portrayed is that he's not wearing the orange Patara earrings that he was wearing uh, early, in the earlier episodes, when we saw him kind of as a Kai in training, he's wearing a single Patara earring on his left ear, uh, and it's a green Patara earring of the Supreme Kai, which is basically what he was wearing when Goasu gave him one of his Patara earrings so that they could use the time ring. So I think that's going to be important coming up here. Absolutely. And I think uh, once again, we get a great cliffhanger for, I guess, not only uh, this Dragon Ball episode to end on, but this episode of Instant Transmission to send up, end on, because this is uh, the last episode we're covering. Yeah, absolutely. Real quick, what did you think about that episode or really the entire 10 episodes that we covered here tonight, Dayton? Uh, just to quickly cover this episode, I thought the... The substance of this episode was pretty good. Um, I do like that we get to see a new form of, I guess, uh, Saiyan or whatever you want to call it, whatever Goku Black is. We get to see a new form. Uh, we really get to see the power of what looks like the main villain. And we get a nice cliffhanger to end on, so that way it keeps us wanting to watch. I will critique this episode, though, because the fight animations were not so great. This was not a very attractive episode to watch. So if you're looking for some eye candy, ugh, it's not this episode. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I agree with you. The pacing of this episode, in my opinion, is great. We're kind of diving into the, the meat of the story here with uh, as our Z fighters get back to the future. And... I mean, we get to see a decent amount of fighting between Vegeta and Goku Black, which, while it's not animated well, it's good to see them kind of dive into that fight. Uh, and it's 
interesting to see this new transformation with Super Saiyan Rose. I'm, I'll admit it. It's still when I first saw Super Saiyan Rose, it didn't make much sense to me. It still, in a lot of ways, doesn't make much sense to me. In my mind, I feel like it should just be Super Saiyan Blue, uh, because Blue is like God key infused with Super Saiyan, and so it still seems strange to me that there has to be a separate transformation for a God entity that took over Goku's body. Uh, spoiler. Oh, uh, well, you guys didn't hear that here, but you will <laughs> next time. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it seems strange to me. It, but regardless, it, it looks cool. It's kind of fun. I think, you know, it, it's exciting to see new transformations, I suppose. Yeah, it's something new, which is something I'm fairly happy with. But, I, you know, at the same time with transformations, I also kind of they get boring kind of quick, too, at the same time. So I'm not not huge on that. But I suppose from there, I'll go ahead and go with the what I think about the first 10 episodes. And yeah, I think overall, I think I think as far as action wise goes, this isn't the most exciting 10 episodes you could watch. But as far as storytelling and emotional weight, I do think that these 10 episodes hit home. I think they're they're fantastic. It's a good watch. Um, And I mean, I'm willing to say I'm probably going to keep saying good things about this saga as a whole, because I think I think this is one of the most exciting, I guess, sagas in Dragon Ball Super that you can watch. And I do think these 10 episodes lead you up, kind of get you towards where the real meat and potatoes of this saga is going to happen. It does a very good job of that. Yeah. And I, I very much agree with you. Uh, we, we again, kind of had to apologize to our viewers here because this is a long episode of instant transmission, but there's a lot of content to cover here in the future trunks arc. It's a lot more character driven, a lot more story driven, uh, a lot less fighty fighty than it normally is for dragon ball. But I think in the next episodes that we're going to cover, we're going to get a lot of fighting in and a lot of action to cover. So I think I agree with that. I think the, these first 10 episodes are really kind of setting the groundwork for everything that's going to start happening. And the action's really going to start kicking off soon. But they needed time to kind of get all the, all the right storyline elements in motion. And these first 10 episodes, I think they do a fantastic job of doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think... Like Dayton said, this is a good place for us to stop with the episode, a good cliffhanger. And I think we're going to have some awesome action sequences to cover next time. Dayton, did you have anything else you wanted to discuss or does that kind of wrap things up for tonight's topic? Uh, no, I mean, I I mean, I could probably gush about how much I like this stuff, but I, <laughs> I, I think we've done enough of that. So I think I can go ahead and let this one go. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm feeling the same way there. So. So that's it for this episode of Instant Transmission, where we discuss everything Dragon Ball. This has been your hosts, Todd and Dayton. Be sure to join us next time as we watch Goku and the gang standing off against Black and the new foe, returning foe, <laughs> Zamasu. Will Trunks be able to save his universe? Will Goku be able to defeat himself? And will Vegeta ever be more than a punching bag? Uh, no, I no. Mm -mm. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> but find out uh, next time. So to all our fellow Dragon Ball fans, stay safe out there. And remember to keep 
Rockin' the Dragon. Hold your fire. He's not black. (laughs) Uh, Make sure you edit that out.